2: Thank you for being with us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nigat. We continue today our coverage of the Democratic National Convention. Uh, I've said uh, every day this week that uh, all of us on our team had expected, as so many others did, to be in Milwaukee this week and in Charlotte for the Republicans next week, and uh, that we were going to uh, since we're all really right at home uh, covering virtual conventions, we were going to nevertheless uh, make sure that our show covered in detail what was happening this week with the Democrats. And next week, we will do the same when the Republicans convene what will be their mostly virtual convention. Be- before I introduce the panel, one quick note, and it's kind of in keeping with the fact that last night was essentially a night for Democrats to showcase the powerful women who are part of the Democratic Party. A couple of days ago, on August 18th, when uh, uh, we went on the air, I mentioned that, of course, it was the 100th anniversary of the final passage of the 19th Amendment. And I said it, uh, we were celebrating that day, uh, wh- the, the, the moment when women won the right to vote. I got an email from an, a listener that I thought was really interesting. She said, you got that wrong. They didn't. We didn't win the right to vote at that point. We were finally given a right that we as American citizens had all along. We were just blocked from taking advantage of it. I thought that was a a comment worthy of mentioning uh, because it's basically actually true. All right, I just wanted to get that in uh, before we go ahead with today's show. It's uh, Thursday, which means my partner today is Kevin Riley, the editor of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. How are you, Kevin? You doing all right?
3: Yeah, Bill, good to be with you again on this Thursday. Uh, I'm with you. It's, uh, we, we expected to have a big crew of people up in Milwaukee as well, and uh, we're covering it virtually. And uh, it's been an interesting experience. I know we're going to talk a lot about that today to, to observe and see this convention in this way.
2: Yeah, just think of how much money your organization and ours, Georgia Public Broadcast, are saving, Kevin, by not having to pay for all those hotel bills and transportation and all the like. This is a, this is a budget-conscious convention for us.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, our crew doesn't uh, entertain itself with the kind of lavish dinners and fancy hotel rooms that I know you're used to, but we are saving some
2: money. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we're also really pleased to be joined today, and it's always an honor to have Representative Calvin Smirey on our show. Representative Smirey is uh, the longest-serving member, the dean of the Georgia legislature. Uh, Calvin Smirey, you have been in that position for 45 years. Have I got that right? And I think when you were elected initially, um, you were the youngest uh, member, That was in 1974. I think you were like 26 that's, years old. You were the youngest that, member of the House at that point, that's right? That's
4: correct. Uh, 46 years.
2: Don't take one from me. Oh, 46 years. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Glad you explained that. <laughs> Calvin Smyre has held virtually every, every position you could want to have in both the Georgia legislature and in uh, national politics, having been the chairman of the National Board, uh, Legislative Black Caucus, among many other um, positions that you have held, both as a state leader and as a national leader. So, Calvin, thank you so much for being with us today.
4: Thank you for being inviting me.
2: Um, And Calvin, of course, is a member of the Georgia delegation to the Democratic Convention. As is Ted Terry. Ted Terry has just won the Democratic nomination uh, to become uh, the candidate for District Six in the DeKalb County Commission after uh, finishing his uh, tenure as mayor of Clarkston, where he became pretty well-known because he was mayor of one of the largest and best-known refugee communities in the country. Uh, now, Ted, you've, you've won the nomination, and, and you uh, automatically move into the seat because you don't have any opposition, so you'll be sworn in when the new commission meets, Right.
5: Yeah, good morning, Bill. Um, that's exactly right. It's uh, the Super 6 District. It's half of DeKalb County, uh, 350,000 people, and it's the most uh, Democratic county commission district in the in the state, probably, so no Republican challenger. Uh, but thanks for having me on, and it's an honor to be on with uh, Kevin and also uh, Dean Smyre. I met him over 15 years ago as a young Democrat, and uh, he's been just a great mentor and leader in our party, and it's uh, great to be on with him as well. Thanks for having me.
2: Um, we're not— we're going to talk about this a little later, but one of the reasons we are really eager to hear you today, Ted, is that you've been—you um, have always styled yourself as a, as a liberal Democrat. You are a big supporter of Bernie Sanders, and as we go th- into the show, I really am eager to hear your thoughts on whether there is really going to be a unified Democratic Party moving forward. And we'll get to that in just a little while. But I, before we do, I want to introduce. A first-time panelist, who I'm really pleased was able to join us today. Amy Kramer is the co-founder and chair for Women for American America First. Uh, you ran in that just you ran. You just uh, reminded me in, in for the sixth district congressional uh, seat as a Republican in that field, Amy of like what twenty uh, <laughs> people. Um, but more important, you're also. Uh, Uh, have been very important to the Tea Party movement in the state of uh, Georgia and beyond. You founded Tea Party Patriots. You went on and became the chairman of Tea Party Express. So you have a long history of conservative activism. Thank you for being here today.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join you guys. And uh, yes, I am one of the founders of the modern day Tea Party movement co-founded Tea Party Patriots, and then really cut my teeth in politics on congressional and senatorial races with Tea Party Express. We were a significant part of taking the gavel out of Pelosi's hands in 2010. Uh, So we're looking at that same scenario now and hoping to do that again. Uh, But I'm excited to be here and talk about this Democrat convention.
2: Well, thank you for being here. Um, Kevin, let's start with talking about uh, Kamala Harris. Um, She was obviously the uh, star attraction of last night's convention. Um, And, you know, Kevin, I think one of the things that's interesting about her speech last night is that, first of all, we know how aggressive Kamala Harris can be when she wants to go after someone who is her opponent. We saw that in a debate against Joe Biden, where she really took him down over his lack of support for uh, the early years of busing. Uh, She can be really an attack dog. And that's what we expect a Democratic vice, or any vice presidential candidate is going to be, a stalking horse going after the other side. With that in mind, Kamala Harris worked last night with a scalpel not a sledgehammer is that a fair way of putting it uh, kevin
3: i think that's true I, I, and i thought that she also uh, really um uh was emotional herself and 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 gave uh emotional an emotional speech uh, again out of character i mean she's a past, uh, uh, prosecutor. I mean, and, you know, she's known as, as a tough person and, and we that's generally the impression I think people came away from the primary season with, but clearly she decided to go in a different direction. And I think it, it, you know, part of that obviously is the, the, the coalition, the Democrats are trying to put together. They need her and Biden and, uh, to bring a lot of people into their tent And um, we've seen plenty of anti-Trump, you know, make it a referendum on this president in their approach. But in her case, she really did spend a lot of time going in the other direction, talking about her mom. It was it was very emotional.
2: Uh, Calvin, really, it was important for her to tell her personal story. Um, to, to give a more human side of, uh, to show a more human side of herself because America doesn't really know her yet. Do you think she accomplished that last night, Calvin? There's
4: no question about it. Uh, she uh, in my opinion spoke with a lot of uh, poise. Uh, she spoke with a lot of compassion and uh, I was inspired by her her remarks and uh, and, and, and the way she uh, delivered it, and the way she uh, talked about uh, togetherness, uh, unity, and uh, turning challenges into purpose. And then the highlight of her speech, one of them was uh, uh, there's no vaccine uh, for racism. And uh, so when you think about her speech, uh, when you think about uh, the fact that she's the daughter of two uh, immigrants that came to America, and that's what America is all about, opportunity. So with that in mind, I thought I thought she did a great uh, job um, defining who she was. Uh, we've seen her on the t- on TV and in the news media as a U.S. senator, as an attorney general, and now she uh, is a nominee for vice president of the United States. So uh, that's something that uh, we have to think about when we think about uh, America and and uh, and the fabric of America, and and the opportunity for democracy and opportunity. And uh, last night, I think uh, Kamala Harris did an outstanding job uh, in expressing that in a way that, to me, was uh, with, with, with dignity, poise, and, and uh, very much a great deal of uh, absolute positive content.
2: Um, when I said that she basically used a scalpel, not a sledgehammer, in, uh, in going after President Trump to an extent— Um, I I want to play. Uh, Let's use the uh, clip five, uh, please, Sam. Uh, This is uh, Kamala Harris during her speech last night, and then we'll get Amy and Ted to weigh in.
1: I have fought for children and survivors of sexual assault. I fought against transnational criminal organizations. I took on the biggest banks and helped take down one of the biggest for-profit colleges. I know a predator when I see one. My mother taught me that service to others gives life purpose and meaning. And oh, how I wish she were here tonight, but I know she's looking down on me from above. I keep thinking about that 25-year-old Indian woman, all of five feet tall, who gave birth to me at Kaiser Hospital in Oakland, California. On that day, she probably could have never imagined that I would be standing before you now and speaking these words. I accept your nomination for vice president of the United States of America.
2: Uh, so what we didn't hear her say, she said, I know a president when I see what I took. I, I, and she talks about having taken down one of the largest private universities in the country and she says, I, I, I know a predator when I see one. She was involved in lawsuit against Trump University. And uh, in fact, she got some fairly substantial donations from both Ivanka and Donald Trump uh, and their speculation that in part it was because she was, as attorney general, uh, fighting against uh, the university and the way she, uh, the state of California felt it was exploiting students. Um, And then she makes the comment about, I know, a predator when I see one. No reference to the president by name. But, Amy, is there any doubt in your mind that Republicans cringed when they heard her jabs clearly at President Trump?
0: I don't think we cringed because it's expected. I mean, that she's going to be the attack dog. We've seen her go after Joe Biden, um, as she did in the debate. She's gone after others. And So that's expected. She was very emotional last night and pulled on heartstrings. And I have to say, you know, that is one thing that Democrats are very good at doing, is pulling on heartstrings. Republicans tend to talk about policy facts and figures. And honestly, it goes over most people's head. And when you're pulling on heartstrings, you get people's attention. And that's what she did last night. Um, I felt bad for her, actually, because when she said— you know, I accept the the nomination for vice president of the United States, it was silent, you know, and she should have been in an arena full of people. And it was unfortunate that she didn't have that moment um, as a human being. You know, I I felt for her. But, uh, you know, she can stand up there and say, talking points and and point these things out. But at the end of the day, we need to go look at her record. And quite honestly, I think she's pretty radical and uh, not what America wants.
2: I think that, Ted Terry, is going to be one of the most interesting (laughs) efforts that Republicans are going to try to make, is here's a woman who was a pretty tough prosecutor uh, both uh, as a district attorney in San Francisco and later as attorney general. Pretty tough on crime. She was got a lot of pushback from the African-American community in California because of her aggressive uh, prosecutions of African-Americans. And so it's going to be interesting, Ted, as Republicans try to paint her as part of that radical left wing uh, that is out to give criminals free reign on the streets. I'm not suggesting, by the way, Amy said it that way, but that, that's essentially kind of a larger uh, way in which people are talking about it.
5: Right, absolutely, and uh, and Calvin was exactly right. I mean, I think um, just uh, one, just how she delivered the speech, and and just how emotive she is, um, and genuine, authentic. I think are the words that come to mind, and I think that's uh, so the the delivery and uh, the story about her immigrant parents' background, to me, that was pulling on the heartstrings. Amy's exactly right. Uh, Democrats love that stuff. Um, but I think voters love that stuff also. <laughs> I think people want to know that you're more than just a, a suit of uh, you know policy ideas. And you have a background, that you have a story, and you have a perspective. Um, you know, certainly some of um, Senator Harris's lines were meant to, uh, to, to poke the Twitter beast uh, that is Donald Trump. Um, and she's doing exactly what she needs to do. She needs to divert attention and the attacks towards her while Joe Biden is the one who's running for president. And if Donald Trump, the Republicans, spend all their time attacking Kamala Harris, um, then Joe Biden will be better off because of it.
2: You know, Kevin, somebody uh, I heard on one of the networks yesterday say last night was the night. If anything was going to really get under Donald Trump's skin, it would be last night you had Hillary Clinton, Kamala. Harris, both talking. Elizabeth Warren, you had a perfect storm of people who really incite him. And, boy, he fired off all caps tweets all night. I think whoever said that earlier was right on the money. Kevin?
3: Yeah, I think think that's a good point, and, of course, uh, for all of us. uh, we journalists, uh, uh, we enjoy it because it's sort of entertaining. uh, And we're, of course, watching and, you know, uh, paying attention to this and following the race. But, I mean, I kind of am curious, I guess for Amy's opinion, I mean, and others can chime in. Do you think anyone but Democrats is really going to watch a a a a virtual convention like this? In other words, as powerful as that moment was, uh, for uh, Kamala Harris and Democrats, um, it, would it persuade anyone who's not already persuaded, and would they be watching?
0: Uh, you know, Kevin, I don't—that's the thing, is the numbers have been down um, for this. It, they didn't it, get the numbers that they expected. And I know that a lot of my friends and people that, you know, I regularly interact with were not watching it. They weren't tuning into it, Um and when you're when you are watching, it's like a telethon. Yes, she did pull on heartstrings. And I think Joe Biden did a, a great um, I think her spe- her portion of the debate was actually the best. But at the end of the day, it is like a telethon and you don't have the audience interaction. And it gets kind of boring after, um, you know, a while. So I think maybe people did tune in in the beginning, but then they tuned out. And I can't say that I think it's going to move people. Um Personally, I think it's been a lot of doom and gloom and everything that's wrong with America. And uh, and I, I mean, it's not inspiring. So why would you continue to tune into that?
3: But then I got to ask you, and I'm sure you're expecting this follow up. Won't the Republicans have the same challenge? I mean, their, their fans will be watching them. Will they really get to anyone else? They've got the same challenge, right?
0: I do think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, I actually think that Republicans have the advantage here because they go second. um, And they have seen what the Democrats have put together this week. And so it should inspire them to do better. It's a difficult task. It's a really difficult task. So but we all know that Donald Trump, um, it comes from, you know, he is a showman and he likes the the big pop pomp, and circumstance. And so hopefully it'll be better and more entertaining. But I don't know how you do that without the audience there, because those cheers and boos and all that bring a lot to it.
2: Um, Calvin, I want to get you in here, um, because uh, first of all, um, if you want to respond to anything that was said about uh, Kamala Harris, uh, by all means, uh, you are welcome to do that. But um, I also want to get to President Obama in, in, in a moment here. Um, so f- before we do that, um do you think I, I I postulated that it's going to be a little hard, harder than Republicans think it might be to attack her as somehow a radical leftist given her record as a prosecutor? your thoughts on that? and and on the other hand, there are people in the Democratic Party on the liberal side of the party who are going to be uh unhappy about her aggressive prosecutorial style. Speak to that for just a minute.
4: Well, you know, as we look at, uh, this is my 11th um, uh, Democratic convention, and uh, conventions, um, and and addressing uh, Amy for just a minute, second, conventions are like a a two-step dance. It's it's, um, it's, uh, trying to keep your own in the tent and then pick up others uh, to join the tent. And it's a dress rehearsal. It is a an opportunity for you to uh, 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 get yourself together prior to uh, getting the campaign uh, oriented and started, and uh, you know for that long 100-yard sprint. So uh, th- that's what conventions are about, and uh, and and I think uh, the fact this was a virtual and the republic is going to be virtual uh, is, is going to be a situation where we all uh, we, we we are under different measurements. But to me, uh, the way that uh, Kamala Harris has has postured herself, uh, we all know that she's relentless. We all know that uh, she has the uh, background and uh, the political um, uh, uh, tunness to uh, be able to uh, carry on and to take on. And uh, to me, I think uh, those are some of the qualities and and uh, that I think uh, uh, that she has shown over the years. And uh, and I think she will she will, she'll bowl well. And I think one of the largest and uh, um, debates you will see in tennis wise will be uh, uh, Harris versus Pence uh, as they debate uh, the two VP nominees. And I can guarantee you uh, that's going to be uh, made for a uh, uh, made for a web watching and live streaming and a uh, virtual viewing. So uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I think she comes equipped uh, uh, and uh, I think, uh, her tone is to set the nation in the right direction, and I think she's got the uh, um, the intellectual capacity and and the, the content to do that.
2: All right, let's, Calvin, uh, uh, I, I want to get to uh, President Obama. There's already been a lot said, even since he spoke last night, about the fact that he really took the gloves off. He has been relatively circumspect uh, in uh, his demeanor in talking about President Trump. Uh, for the last almost four years now. Uh, But a lot has been made about the fact he certainly didn't hold back last night. We've never heard a former president go after a sitting president Uh, the way he did, which I suppose is true. I do think it's worth pointing out that we've probably never heard a president sitting in the Oval Office go after his immediate predecessor with quite the vitriol that Trump has with Obama. But let's listen to what is uh, becoming a really ubiquitous uh, soundbite, and that's uh, former President Obama on Donald Trump. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Ted Terry, the Obama speech last night, I think, uh, really makes it clear more than ever to me that this entire presidential election is, no matter what, Demo- almost no matter what you as Democrats do in convention in the campaign, is going to be a referendum. On President Trump and much of it, uh, on his behavior in office, the way he has comported himself, the language he has used, that sort of thing. Am I right?
5: Well, I mean, absolutely. I think the you know, number one uh, President Obama, for a lot of people in, in my generation and a little bit younger, um, you know, he, he was our our, our president uh, for for. Um, uh the, the the important years of our upbringing our lives and um and so when he when he speaks uh you know a lot of people listen um and I think I think his sentiments very accurate the uh, same for Hillary Clinton um we all hope that whoever you know wh- whether there's a transition of power or a new person coming in that we all hope that um that they'll sort of you know uphold the, the 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 office and the oath of the office um and I think you know there's a lot of democrats and probably a lot of independents out there and maybe former Republicans or former, at least, Trump supporters who were disappointed that he, you know, President Trump had opportunities throughout the last three and a half years to do things that were kind of unconventional, that might have uh, confounded what we expected him to do, uh, but he just ended up doing exactly what we all thought he would do. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about now is uh, this, you know, this reflection on the last, you know, four years and whether we want four more years of the same, or do we want to go in a different direction and um and that's that's what's being being made right now in that case
2: amy i'm going to give you the last word on this before we have to take a break
0: yeah i mean you know the first two things he said you know that he's not willing to do the work president trump worked nonstop, stop 24 7 i've never seen anybody like him i wish he had the, i had the energy that he does um, but trying to find that common ground, that was the other thing he said is, you know, he's not willing to find the common ground. I remember when he brought the Democrats into the White House and sat everybody at the table to discuss immigration. I mean, and the cameras were there and thought um, that had never been done before. Look, I don't I think this president President Trump has done a tremendous job. He's done exactly what we wanted him to, to put America first. And you can see that with the things he's done. Uh, Obama can stand up there and attack him. I personally, look, I didn't like President Obama's policies, but I respected him in the office he held. I don't like president, past presidents attacking the president that's in office. I don't think it should happen because As Americans, we should want whoever is in office to be successful because then America is successful. And uh, I don't like it at all. And personally, I think, and I think a lot of people across this country think that um, if Biden is elected, it will be Obama's third term, but more radical. And were it not for Obama, we wouldn't have President Trump. So it's really interesting that they brought him out and and he attacked the president as he did. I don't think it's going to work, though, honestly, because I don't think people want to go backwards.
2: All right, Kelvin, before we take a break, Amy frames what is going to be a Republican argument in the next 70 plus days. I mean, that's precisely what Republicans will be saying. So how will you as a Democrat respond? Is your phone muted, Calvin?
4: President Trump has attacked at, um, uh, President Obama for many, many years. I mean, with the birther comments, and uh, and he has and he attacked him uh, uh, as as the former president. So, uh, my I have an old saying in, po- in in politics: when I hear uh, somebody attacking somebody, they, when they attack them back, they call them they call foul. Uh, politics is a two way street and not a one way alley. So, so uh, in politics, uh, I mean, you you, you relentlessly, relentlessly attacking someone. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so, therefore, you know, the president, uh, in his remarks last night, uh, three things that I, I remember him saying, and I feel very strongly about it. Uh, the president feels no sense of responsibility. Uh, uh, he's not taking his job seriously and has no interest in the common ground. And, uh, and and absolutely should be caring about all Americans. So when you think about uh, how uh, President o- Obama framed it, uh, I-, I just think that uh, that the way he framed it, the way he stated it, uh, the place where he stated it from Philadelphia, and speaking as it relates to the Constitution and the rights thereof, uh, I think it was well placed and well framed. And uh, and again, politics is a two-way street and not a one-way alley. You cannot continue to relentlessly to attack someone and don't expect them to come back with some sort of uh, a defense of their record and their character. So that's, that's how I see the political framework at this juncture.
2: All right, Ted, before we do take a break, very, very quickly— um it, it's interesting the way Amy frames all of this, um, that and there was a moment when there was some bipartisan effort at immigration. we could argue about how that played out and whether the president was, in fact, willing to follow through on on some of on listening to the, some of the compromises that were proposed. But but here's a more specific thing, and I'll give you a quick minute to answer this. Um, it's interesting that President Trump came into office with an enormous opportunity, and that is he did have the ability. Uh, to reach out across party lines and try to form a governing coalition that um, he was free to do because he had such strong support from Republicans at that moment. He had a lot of capital to work with. But I think it's fairly safe to say that what we've seen unfold is that he has chosen to stick with the base. Is that a fair statement?
5: Well, I think that's uh, exactly what he believes won him the White House, and um, it seems that that's the strategy going into this reelection as well is to not try to um, reach out to people that might be in the middle or you know, undecided but uh, to just really you know, maximize turnout amongst his base. Um, uh, back something back to what Amy said, um, and you know, there's no doubt that President Trump obviously works harder than a lot of people <laughs> in public office. Um, you have to if you're going to be the president. You just have a schedule. Um, but one quick thing about that, you know, so you know, just the, the immigration was always going to be a tough thing to negotiate. Uh, but when you talk about issue something that's as bipartisan as infrastructure, um, you know, how many times did we have infrastructure week at the White House that never actually turned into a bill that actually could have passed by, you know, in a bipartisan way, and that still hasn't gotten done. And that's, I think, an example of where his leadership has failed. He has not been able to get something that clearly is bipartisan. as that?
2: All right. I want to. I got to get to a break. Uh, we'll come back uh, as quickly as we can and continue our conversation today on political rewind. <laughs> We're joined on Political Rewind today by our newest panelist, Amy Kramer, who is an important leader in the Tea Party movement here in Georgia when it was uh, all put together back in 2010. Kevin Riley, uh, the editor of the AJC, Calvin Smyrie, the dean of the Georgia Legislature, and Ted Terry, uh, both Ted, Ted now going to be a, a commissioner in uh, DeKalb County, and Calvin Smyre, of course, is also. They're both uh uh delegates to the Democratic Convention next week we're going to look at the Republicans as we're doing the Democrats this week. Kevin Riley, you know, Amy Kramer talks about one of the lines of attack that that Republicans will use um and and they'll have some fodder as if we see continued uh, problems in cities like Portland where there are outbreaks of violence in what are otherwise peaceful demonstrations, but she talks about the radical movement in the Democratic Party. Well, It's not just Republicans who are worrying about that. I was interested in the fact that last night, Kevin, was the third night in a row that the more liberal representatives of the party were consigned to speaking times outside that primetime hour that the networks carry. That's Bernie Sanders, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and then last night, Elizabeth Warren, Kevin, So to an extent, the Democrats themselves are wrestling with the left wing of their own party.
3: I think you're right about that, Bill. And, uh, you know, uh, I think Representative uh, Smire can help us here, but I don't think that's unusual. I mean, if you really examine the history of Democratic conventions in particular, that has always been a challenge because the party for, you know, much of the the history we would concern ourselves with has always had part of it that pushed hard on uh new, you know, obviously could be called radical and progressive ideas, uh, which eventually have, you know, become more mainstream. So I think that we're seeing something that's actually uh, uh, been seen before and um, in many ways. And uh, I, I bet you a representative of Smiry could tell us a tale or two about that happening before. <laughs> calvin yeah
4: i tell you when you think about um when you think about the conventions and 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 uh and kevin alluded to it um and and Bill, and all of those that have been involved in the political arena a long time ago the window gets smaller and smaller and smaller when it comes to prime time uh as you know the other networks uh carried it uh uh maybe th- 3 hours and and then had at a pre-convention show as well. And so when you get into that prime time, uh uh the the, the pressure's on the, the campaigns to uh, uh get their message across and uh, and of course um the candidate uh, uh wants to showcase uh those people that have uh have uh, articulated and, and talked about the issues that uh, they have dealt with over the years, I mean, over the months in the campaign. So that's one of the big challenges uh, um, uh, for the campaign. I, I, you know, when you look at it, uh, you look at the number of people that have been able to talk is very, very limited. And uh, they've done a great job of uh, of scaling this, uh, this uh, virtual uh, uh, campaign and this virtual uh, convention. And uh, that is always a struggle and always uh, very difficult when you get that that prime time, network time. uh, That's always been a challenge for the campaign, and uh, going virtual makes it even more difficult. So I I think that uh, that's the way I see it as it relates to these uh, various conventions.
2: All right, Ted, uh, Hillary Clinton herself last night in her remarks, um, she basically referred – to uh, some of what we're talking about right now, which is she talked about people who sat on their hands and for various reasons did not vote in 2016, didn't give her their vote. Um, Maybe they just didn't like her as an individual, as a candidate. Um, Certainly the Bernie Sanders crowd was very unhappy that she was the nominee. So you're part of that uh, movement, uh, Ted. Are, Are... the more liberal members of the Democratic Party and the voters who support Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are they going to be turning out and voting in November? Or is there a possibility that you think the party is not willing to be moving to the left as openly as as they would like it to?
5: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and Calvin's exactly right. I think you alluded to it also, uh, Bill and Kevin. But uh, these conventions are, you know, America coming together uh, to discuss the issues and to get, you know, a platform to get a vision. And so it's always going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of people looking out for controversy. I think even other media outlets were, you know, calling me saying, you know, did, did Joe Biden's you know, walk back on criminal justice reform, you know, why aren't we talking more about climate change? You know, trying to find a few little, you know, things here and there that might, uh, you know, elicit more controversy. But the the reality is that 2020 is not 2016. Uh, four years might as well be 40 years ago. Um, and I think going into 2020, into this fall election, you're seeing not just uh, Democrats unified, but you're seeing um, a lot of people who are sort of the the centrist, the independent voters, maybe the former Trump voters who are uh, looking looking for um, something different, looking for a new direction. Um, I do think that uh, Biden doesn't represent another another term of Obama. I think Biden is his own person. I think his own health vision. I think Senator Harris brings uh, another uh, perspective and another layer to that uh, this future administration. Uh, but Democrats are. United like never before. I have never. I mean, I was there at the 2016 convention. I remember, uh, you know, kind of protests happening um, and sort of, you know, these controversial kind of, you know, discussions and arguments. Um, and it definitely hurt us going into the fall. But um, 2020, it is about uh, it's about um, not electing Trump again, and that, that is a, a, a unifying force. Uh, that quite frankly is more powerful um, than maybe some ideological or policy differences that might exist within the Democratic tent.
3: Ted, here's a here's a direct question. Uh, after watching uh, what Hillary Clinton had to say, reading some this morning, um, she definitely did what Bill said, which is uh, uh, urged, perhaps you could say, scolded people to go out and make sure they vote uh, uh, for the right person and uh, not avoid voting if they're frustrated. Um, I, I think – so. Uh, do you think she should have acknowledged her mistakes in the campaign in 2016? Uh, many people b- fault her for strategic errors, and she – and there's been a long controversy about her never seeming to acknowledge that. But as someone who, who's uh, you know an active Democrat who, who's engaged here, did Hillary handle that correctly?
5: Well, you know, I maybe, maybe not. I, I don't. Being a politician to apologize is really difficult, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> to admit a mistake. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure she still probably thinks that you know she did everything right, and there was just you know whether it was Russian interference or voter suppression. I mean, all the reasons we've talked about in the past four years of why Trump won. Um, but uh, it doesn't do us any good, uh, Democrats, to dwell on that. Uh, it, we're just we're so singularly focused. On getting things back on track uh, and uh, and sort of um, trying to make up for the last three and a half years that I think a lot of Democrats and a lot of Americans feel um, just have been a disaster for our country. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's it, most of us are focused on 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 the future and are optimistic about the
2: possibilities. All right, I've got to get to another break, and then I want to get everybody back into conversation here. Um, When we come back, let's talk, let's focus on the future, meaning tonight we've got Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and Joe Biden on the uh, calendar for the Democrats. We'll talk about that after these messages. Amy Kramer, uh, close to the top of the show, uh, you made the point, I think really well made, that Democrats do a really good job at speaking from the heart, at conjuring up emotion, uh, at telling human stories. Well, you know, that's certainly one of the things that suddenly raised Keisha Lance Bottoms' national profile the way she responded to the, uh, the uh, demonstrations that turned violent in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. And, um, and, and she has really uh, become a, a mother in addition to being a politician. She'll probably bring that same energy. She's got three minutes tonight, we're told, Amy. But she does that well, and she'll win a lot of uh, uh, support in doing that, I imagine, Amy.
0: Uh, you know, I agree with you on that. Uh, she did very well when she came out and spoke that day from the heart as a mother, and it became a national story. Um, so I expect her to do that uh, tonight. I, I'm not surprised. I actually think that they maybe should have given her a little bit more time than the three minutes, but they haven't. Uh, but again, you know, even though she came out and talked from the heart, uh if you look at what happened in Atlanta, you know, it wasn't too long after that that it seemed that nothing was going on and that she wasn't doing anything about the rioting and the what happened at the Wendy's and whatnot. So, you know, again we can listen to politicians when they come out and give speeches and, and do their talking points and whatnot, but we have to look at their record. That's what's really important is to look at their record. And, uh, and I think that people need to remember that when you're listening to not only Keisha, but you know, others that are speaking tonight and that have spoke before them uh, earlier this week.
2: So Kelvin, it's interesting. Um, uh, Joe Biden has called, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, a rising star in the Democratic Party. Interestingly, for Georgians, President Trump has called Marjorie Taylor Greene a rising star in the Republican Party. There's a contrast for you, Calvin. <laughs>
4: uh, the only difference is that uh, Keisha Lance Bottom is a true uh, rising star in, in the sense of the fabric of America. And uh, I remember uh, back in early 2019, I was sitting down with the mayor, and we were looking at the presidential landscape, and uh, and we we talked about Joe Biden, uh, and uh, and both of us were impressed, and uh, we looked at uh, all of the candidates, and we had a great uh, discussion, and uh, uh, I like uh, Lance bottom. I'm just happy that I'm an early supporter of Joe Biden because. At that time, I, we looked at a person that, that does not eat, need OJT uh, on the job training. He comes fully equipped to be president day one. And uh, when you think about that, and you think about uh, her uh, rise in in uh, in, the, in the national uh, scheme of things, is a true testament to her leadership skills and to her compassion for her uh, for the people that she serves. And I've uh, been a uh, 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 privilege to be able to work with her. I've been a friend of hers for many years, and I've seen uh, the political um, side of her, and then I've seen the mother and the compassionate side of her. And uh, she's fully equipped and uh, to lead Atlanta, and she's fully equipped, uh, uh, as a person that was uh, on the list for uh, a vice president, she's fully equipped to serve our nation. So uh, I'm, look- I'm so thrilled and looking forward to her uh, speech tonight. And I, and I tell you, her leadership in Atlanta has been exemplary, and uh, and I'm just looking forward to watching her tonight as she speaks to
2: America. So, Kevin, what what's interesting is that those of us who were covering the mayoral campaign that she was uh, one of half a dozen candidates in, uh, there was a time when people thought that her rise to the top was kind of unexpected, that they didn't see that she was going to bring the kind of chops, the kind of depth... Uh, that uh, uh, would uh, suit her to become mayor of Atlanta. And boy, uh, in, in many, many ways, she has really proven her leadership ability in a way that there were many people who saw, said during the campaign they weren't sure it was there. Fascinating development.
3: Well, Bill, you know, I I don't know that that's a universal sentiment. Um, I mean, so, you know, just three years ago, she was one of 15 people on the Atlanta city council, not particularly well-known. I mean, you know, and she, uh, she won the mayor's race, but it was extremely close. I mean, it was, she could have easily, you know, not won that race and and just be an obscure politician today. Um, And depending on who you talk to in the city, you would have you know very uh strong powerful positive things to say about hear about her and and people who are very optimistic about her, but she also has
2: detractors.
3: And there are people, and I yes. would I would say the Atlanta police department and its leadership may be among those people who would say she has not handled all of this so well. Um, we, we did a story recently about this in the AJC how on a national stage she has many fans and locally she has uh, a lot of detractors, not unusual in the world of politics, but, um, I think that uh, there's a lot of talk about her, and I would expect she handles this tonight very well. She's well-suited for this kind of thing. But there will still be people here in Atlanta watching, wondering if she's the mayor that they would like to have.
2: Yeah, I, I think, Amy, I w- I was not suggesting that necessarily she's become universally acclaimed. I'm just suggesting that there are people who didn't see her as the kind of leader uh, she has risen to become but she does have many critics. Amy, real quick comment from you on that, and no, then we've got to move on.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to say, and it kind of echoes what Kevin said, is that, um, you know, I would say that the police department may have different feelings about that. Uh, She certainly wasn't supporting a female police chief there. And one other thing, you know, she's taking away freedom and liberties when she is mandating masks wearing in the city of Atlanta. I know the whole mask topic's a different thing, but it comes down to freedom and liberty. And so that's a real issue.
2: Okay. Okay. I don't want to get into a mask debate, right, because that's just the I direction I don't want to get in. in. in right. uh, uh, we, look, I, you know, wear a mask. Would you please wear a mask? All right, real quick. Um, we don't it's have much between, time. It's between Ted wearing a mask
3: or
4: dying.
2: Thank you, Calvin. All right. Joe Biden speaks tonight. I, Amy's already said that emotion plays a big part with Democrats. They're right. And there's no story in Democratic Party politics more powerful than Joe Biden's. His, his, his wife and his baby daughter killed in a car wreck just as he was about to go to the U.S. Senate for the first time. I remember in 1987 19, in 19, um, uh, uh, when Joe Biden launched his presidential campaign and I was on the campaign trail with candidates uh, all that year and the next We gathered at the Amtrak station in Wilmington, Delaware, where Biden made his first announcement that he was in fact gonna be a candidate for president. And then we got on the Amtrak train and took the two hour ride into Washington that Biden took every day during his early years in the Senate because he believed he had to be home to be with his sons who were suddenly left without a mother and a baby sister. And and I've got to say Ted that story st- and that journey it was the most single most powerful announcement uh, statement uh, 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 event I ever covered and I cover I've covered dozens of them but that story will be told again tonight and it'll be told throughout the campaign as a sign of the man's character but you can't just win the white house on character Ted
5: uh, well, I, I don't know. I think maybe you can. Um, I think about George W. Okay. Bush running as a compassionate, conservative uh, President Obama. you know, His story was a large part, I think, of what energized and uh, won over a lot of people. Um, I, my prediction is that Joe Biden's going to win, um, that his style of politics, compassion, empathy, um, caring, understanding, love, um, those, those types of principles are going to make a resurgence – and my prediction is that the next Republican presidential race will uh, bring back compassionate conservatism again, because that's, that's where we're at in this country. It, it's hard to be, dis- even though we are disconnected via COVID-19, I think that the, the state of our uh, politics and our culture, I think, are going to dictate that we um, embrace those types of politics as opposed to the politics of division.
2: Calvin, we're running fast out of time. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds or so to sum things up on that front.
4: Well, I think that uh, I, I agree with Ted. I think this is going to be about character. It's going to be about fighting for the soul of America. Uh, and uh, I, I agree with you that uh, uh, he has a compassionate uh, for people, and I think that's going to be the telling point this, this, this uh, presidential election.
2: We are all out of time. Amy Kramer, Ted Terry, Calvin Smirey, Kevin Riley, thank you all so much for being with us for another edition of Political Rewind. If nothing else, I think we framed how Republicans and Democrats are going to fight it out in the 70 plus days headed to November on this show. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the show. Robert Costa from Washington Week in the Washington Post will join us. Uh, so will Patricia Murphy, Andre Gillespie and Jim Galloway to wrap up the whole convention week. I'm Bill Nigat. Until then, take care and please stay healthy. Bye-bye, everybody.